an absolutely crazy world. If you haven't noticed yet, if you haven't noticed, then come chat to me afterwards and I'll bring you up to speed. But we live in a crazy world and the advent of technology has not helped. Okay, and so we're now aware of everything. We know everything about everything everywhere, which really sucks, right? It's, it's not good for us. It's not helpful always, okay? And so we're influenced by a myriad of voices. And I know this is a cliche. You've heard this a thousand times. But the reality is that you're confronted with a thousand different ideas and thoughts and beliefs and all kinds of things every single day from every quarter, especially if you have that little device in your hand, right? And so it can become very confusing. And I know over the last couple of weeks, I think there's been kind of a pressing in from the Lord into the Word of God and encouraging you really to, to anchor yourself in the Word of God. Is that right? Am I on the wrong boat here? Is that cool? I'm going to take a sip of water. The nerves will settle down now, soon. And they asked the famous preacher, do you still get butterflies when you preach? He said, yes, but now they fly in formation. <laughs> so even as you preach more, you still get nervous because you realize it's just the weightiness of that. But we live in a crazy world, and so we've got to bring ourselves back. We've got to anchor our lives in something. And I guess my encouragement is going to be to anchor yourself in the Word of God today. And I was just thinking as we were singing this morning, even if you felt nothing this morning, the words we were singing are true. That's the good news. They remain true, whether you feel it or not, experience it or not, and that's good news because you don't have to feel it in order for it to be true. They're true. So I don't know what your, work, your week looked like, but if you feel nothing this morning, Jesus is still on the throne. He still saved you. He's still eternally committed to you if you're in Christ, Right? Nothing changes that. That's good news. Now, because that is true, you should feel something. Amen? You should celebrate. You should praise Him. Even though you don't feel it, you should just make a decision to give Him glory and praise and to magnify His name. And I'm going to be long this morning because if I'm starting like this, I'm just trying to get to my introduction here this morning, okay? But, but here's the encouragement, to come back to what is true. Okay, I know there's some, there's some new stuff sweeping in particular. I won't mention it. I don't want to get anyone into trouble, get myself into trouble. But sweeping through Cape Town in particular at the moment with books being written and, and the like. Some loud, very smart voices, right? And th- that happens frequently. And, and I know you guys know this saying, but I heard this from Andrew the other day. I know it floats around a lot. Um, if it's new, it's probably not true, right? If it's a new thing. It's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. That's a good, good thing to live by, right? And this morning, I'm going to bring you back to something that is true. Therefore, it's not new. I don't have a wonderful revelation. There's not a special anointing in my life to bring a revelation that you've never had. I'm just bringing you the Word of God. And I'm hoping the Word of God opens up in your heart. That the Spirit of God will open it up in your life and make it alive in you. That is what I'm hoping for. But there's nothing special about me in... Op- Does that make sense? I'm not bringing you a revelation that no one else has. Okay, I'm just bringing you the Word of God. The Word of His truth that can dramatically transform and change your life by the power of the Spirit. Amen? Okay, getting ahead of myself. So... There's a guy by the name of Andrew Peterson. He's a, you don't need to know who he is, he's, um, but I'll tell you a little bit about who he is. He's a musician, and he writes music, and he writes book. In fact, he, he wrote a, a, um, a, what do you call it now, a children's series, but it's a um, fantasy series, um, which uh, I can tell you the name after it, but it's worth getting for your kids because it's biblically solid, 
okay, and you're often looking for your kids, like fantasy stuff, nothing wrong with that, as long as it's taking their minds to the right things, correct? And so anyway, he wrote some of the stuff, and he's a, he's a musician, done a, a bunch of other things, and I was so moved, he writes this song called You'll Find Your Way, and he wrote the song actually um, off the back of a letter that he wrote to his 13-year-old son. His son turned 13, and so he wrote his son this letter, and basically the letter was saying to his son, look, you're going to encounter some stuff. You're starting to become a man. You're going to go on a journey one day. You're going to have some challenges. You're going to be confronted with all kinds of stuff. And then he encourages his son. He says, come back, come back to the ancient path. Lash your heart to the ancient mast. It's amazing in progressive Christianity and what's floating around there. There's always something new, but there is nothing new, guys. It's been around for thousands of years. Maturity in the Lord is actually anchoring yourself in truths that have been around for thousands of years. They don't change because God doesn't change. And so we should come back to that. I want to read you just a part of the, a few lines from the song, if I might. Uh, and like I said, it's off the back of a letter that he wrote to his son, and then he wrote this song. It says, keep to the old roads and you'll find your way. A lot of silver foxes here, mature people. I'm not going to be rude like some people here this morning, right? Mature people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, right? Even for you, there's something fresh. It can be fresh. God freshens up the word, but it's the old truths, amen, that you've lived with your whole life that have anchored your soul. Keep to the old roads and you'll find your way. And I know you'll be scared when you take up that cross and I know it'll hurt because I know what it costs. And I love you so much and it's hard to watch but you're going to grow up and you're going to get lost. Just go back. Go back. Go back. Go back to the ancient paths. Lash your heart to the ancient mast. And so I want to bring your heart back to something that has never changed, will never change. And if you don't anchor your heart in this, then you really have no anchor for your life that is worth holding on to. This um, song, by the way, was written off the back as well, connected to Jeremiah 6.16. I was going to read that very quickly. It's just one verse. But it's, Jeremiah was a prophet that was sent to the people of God in Israel, right? The Jewish people, God's chosen covenant people. Yet God had to remind them again and again and again. Because that's what we're, as people, we default to walking away from the Lord. So if you feel like, why am I like that? Hey, get a number, get in line, Right? We default to it. It's the Spirit of God that brings us back. And so God sends Jeremiah, and he says this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths. Right? Stand by the roads. There's many roads you can follow. Stand by the roads and look, but ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. The question is, will we walk in it? Will we stick to the ancient past? Will we stick to the roads that God has laid before us already in time gone past? Will we anchor our souls to ancient truths that never change? That is the call to us this morning, and I think there's going to be some decisions that need to be made. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Just by the way, I read from the ESV, English Standard Version. Um, I know there's a lot of great translation. I think you guys mostly use the NIV, maybe the NLT. I'm not sure what you use. And I would encourage you, 
to open up your Bibles, all right? Now, I'm tactile. I'm a little bit old school. I'm not old, but I'm not young. And so I still like something in my hand personally, all right? But if you've got a device and you've got the Bible app on your phone, that's totally cool. No problem at all. But I would encourage you to open it so you know that I'm not reading from 1 Kevin chapter 6. All right. There's no such book. We don't want to read from that book. 1 John, all right? It's always good just to read along. I know it's up there. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm, kind of, I'm going to read and then speak. So I'm going to read a portion and then just speak. That's the way I'm going to make my way through 20 verses. You good? You look like you're hungry for it, man. All right. So from verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, let me pause, okay? I'll give you some context. What is happening is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. In fact, there's about fifteen to 20,000 people. You all know that, including um, women as well as children. And he fed those 5,000 plus 15, 20,000 with two fish and five loaves. He does this incredible miracle. And then after he does this miracle, his disciples go across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, and he's not with them, right? And so in the next morning, the, the people arrive, the, the crowds arrive, and they see the boats have left. All right, And they're going, well, we didn't see Jesus get on the boat with the disciples, so where is he? He's nowhere to be found. Jesus decided to walk across the lake. Do you remember that? Jesus literally walks across the water to the other side, right? And he meets them kind of halfway. They get a big scrick. I would have as well. What's going on here? Jesus walking on water. I don't know if any of you have seen that. I haven't seen that lately. A little crazy. So Jesus walking on water. He's just turned two loaves and five fish, or five loaves and two fish rather, you know, enough food for thousands of people. There's leftovers. This is unbelievable, supernatural, incredible, miraculous, spectacular stuff going down. He meets them, gets in the boat, and immediately says they're on the other side. So somehow they kind of teleport and they're there, right? That'll be good kind of traveling, right? Don't have to row anymore. We're just there. It's cheaper, absolutely, right? And so to the degree that Jesus is with you is the degree to which you'll travel well, apparently. All right? I'm just kidding. So he's in Capernaum, and now he is confronted. These people eventually get in boats. They come across some of them, all right? And now he's engaging with them. They're following him, and they're going, how did you get to the other side? And then he begins to tell them that he is the bread of life. Why does he do that? So Jesus often used these natural things to describe some spiritual things, which they often didn't get. And so he's using what has just happened in him taking this bread and multiplying him, him walking on water. He's trying to give them a hint. Listen, I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just Elijah. I'm not just Elijah. I'm not a prophet of old. I am indeed the bread of life. And he tells them, and he references the Old Testament when they were going through the wilderness. And of course, what happened? God sent manna to fall literally from heaven. And that was always a foreshadow of God providing the ultimate bread of life. The bread of life that brings eternal life. And so he ties those two together. He says, your forefathers ate the bread that my father sent from heaven And they were hungry, but my Father has sent me from heaven so that you will never hunger again. That's where we're at, right? And so he says that he is the bread of life. And so that is why these cats are now saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because saying, I am the bread of life. It's a a legitimate question, right? But they're not seeing what they need to see. They're not seeing in the way that they need to see. So he goes on, and I love how Jesus deals with people. He doesn't soften it. He goes harder, okay? All right? 
And so verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That is a wonderful way to respond to that question. Right? Isn't it amazing how we always try and give soft answers to people? Jesus frequently did this. Do you know why he frequently did this? He knew those who were truly seeking the truth would understand. Listen, I'm going to bring some hard realities this morning, not to be hard on you, but I think there needs to be some things in your heart that you carry, that you understand, that will help you tremendously in your own personal walk with the Lord, but also when you engage with people that don't know Christ, who have difficult questions. Not everybody's looking for the truth. Not everybody wants the truth. That includes us sometimes. We don't want the truth. We want what we want. We want our truth. And in the world that we live in, truth has become subjective. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Well, that's your truth. That's often when you're in a conversation. Yeah, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Well, is there no objective, uh, objective truth? Is there no ultimate truth? Yes, there is. There must be ultimate truth. And God's truth is almost like gravity. You can say, well, you believe in gravity and I don't. Okay. Right? Let's jump and see what happens. Do you believe you're going to float? No. That's an ultimate truth. Are you with me? Okay. And so Jesus is often seeking those who are seeking him. Now, you might say, is that unfair? Because are people really seeking him? And I'd say, it's not unfair because, yes, people should be seeking him. We were created in his image. People deny the very nature of God in them. We were created in the image. We carry some of the nature of God, whether you're saved or not. There's some of God in you. And so have you noticed that people worship? People are always worshiping. The question is not, are they worshiping? The question is always, who or what are they worshiping? But people are always worshiping. They worship their intellect, they worship themselves, they worship money, sex, drugs, they worship their careers, they worship fame, they worship fortune, they worship comfort, they worship a wonderful lifestyle, particularly here in Cape Town, <laughs> right, that involves waves and surfboards. <laughs> I will say they're very brave to go into the water with the other things lurking, yeah? But people are always worshipping. That's why there's a myriad of religions. Are you with me? Like you need to understand and see this because we think, oh, shame. People, how can they not? People know. Romans tells us, Paul says, they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. They know it. They know it. They know it. There's something in it. God has created them to worship him. He was, they were created by God and for God, but they suppress the truth and they hold on to their sin because they love their sin and they love darkness. That's what the Bible says. And so Jesus knows who really desires truth. Okay, it's going to get better. <laughs> it's going to get better. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, for us, it's obvious now, but I will spare a thought for those guys. If I was there, I'm wondering what I would have been thinking. I'm like, this is a cult. I'm out. This is crazy. This stuff is going to reach the headlines, and it's going to trend on Twitter in like no time. I don't want any part of it. Think about that for a moment, what Jesus is saying to them. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay. 
cannibalism, yeah? Well, that's nuts, right? That's nuts. Now, here's the thing, and, and here's what I want to encourage you with. Often the Word of God doesn't make sense. Don't disregard it. A heart that is seeking truth will keep on pursuing. And, and what I've learned is this, is that the problem with us as believers very often is that we want to, we demand to first understand the Word of God before we obey it. So you're trying to press the God who created everything, who plonked that mountain down there, who's giving you the very next breath that you're about to take. You want to fit him into your own ability to comprehend who he is and what he says before you believe him and before you obey him. That's what we do, right? Now, here's what I'm learning. When you begin to just obey the word of God, you'll understand it. Do you see that? You see, we, we live in an entitled world where we demand to know. We demand to understand. We live in the information age. So everybody's smarty pants, right? Because they have the internet and Google, and you can research everything, and everyone's very smart because they read up about everything, and they're reading books, and they're reading articles, and they're reading this, and they're following this guy, and they're following that guy. And that is true. People are smarter today than they've ever been in the history of humankind, but they're dumber today than they've ever been in the history of humankind. That's true. That's true. Because we think we know everything. And so we come to the Word of God. We come to the Scriptures. We come to God telling, okay, let me tell you. If you can show me. Now think about that. The creature telling the Creator. I demand for you to help me understand this before I accept it. Do you see that posture that we come with? Jesus doesn't give any quarters at all. He puts a line right down the middle, and he knows whose heart is on the right side and whose heart is not. Do you really, truly, genuinely desire the truth? Generally, you come to the word of God then with saying, Lord, speak. I don't get this, but I receive it. Now, there is room to understand, so don't misunderstand me, okay? There is room to comprehend. There is room to grow in your understanding, but it's the posture of the heart that I'm talking about. Does that make sense? It's the posture of your heart. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What is this about? Jesus giving himself to you. Jesus giving himself to you. This is what he's saying. He's drawing a very hard line, but what he's saying is you can either be on the line where you say, no, I've got this, or you can be on the line where you say, I don't have this. I need you. I need what you're giving me. I need to abide in you. I need to feed on your flesh and drink your blood. And obviously that is a throwback to what? Because this was written after Jesus was crucified, died, resurrected, all right? This was written by the Apostle John, but later on it was written after all of this is happening. He's recounting now what went down. And so this is pointing to the cross. This is pointing to Jesus bringing life to us, the life that we could not produce in ourselves. The life that we desperately need, although the world would say, I don't need it. And often we live our lives as if we don't need it, right? We have to abide in him. We have to feed on his flesh and drink his blood in order to abide in him and I in you. That's what he's calling us into. That's what he's offering to us. That the God of the universe through Jesus Christ is offering us a seat at the table. 
He's offering us a place in his household. He's offering us to be a very part of him, an extension of who he is, to have the very life that he has given us flow through us because of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us into. Verse 57, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And so it seems like an incredibly tall order. It seems a little bit bizarre and it seems a little bit extreme. But when you realize what you're receiving, you understand that actually it's not. So Father God sent Jesus Christ, his own son, to be a living sacrifice for every single one of us. Every single one of us desperately need what Christ has done on the cross. And God, because he loved you so much, sent his son to be the bread of life. Everything that we need is found in him. And he offers it freely. It's on offer to us continuously. He gives himself entirely. He withholds nothing. Heaven's best was given. Heaven's best was given. So that we could feed on his flesh and drink his blood. Which sounds crazy. If that little sound bite's going to go out, it's going to be like, woo. What does that mean? He sustains us. He gives us life. He redeems us through his blood. Everything that you need is found in him. And he offers it freely to whoever desires it. He offers it freely to you today because the Father sent him to lay down his life for you. Not everybody wants that. And this is a dividing line for those of you sitting in this room, even who are believers. Sometimes our lives drift and we no longer want it in the same way. We no longer desperately depend on Jesus in the same way. And I think the Spirit of God is provoking us to come back to that place, to understand that we desperately need the bread of life, We desperately need the redemption from the Lamb of God. We desperately need it every day. We never graduate from it. In fact, growing in maturity as a believer is growing more and more dependent on it. It's growing in your understanding of how much you need it. You grow in your understanding of how much you need His grace. That's maturity. You grow in your desperation to feed on what He has for you. For him to nourish you, for him to sustain you, for him to redeem you, for him to forgive you. Your life is more and more hidden in Christ. That's the mature believer. We don't graduate from grace. Amen? We continue to pursue him. Now, let me go back to chapter 5, if you wouldn't mind. I want to read a portion there to show you something that is quite frightening. Because the word of God is... God's word to us, right? God has, so ultimately we are in pursuit of Jesus, am I right? But how would we know if it's Jesus if we didn't have the word of God? So the word has to be our final authority, okay? How, do, how does Jesus nourish us? Through the word, okay? He nourishes us through his word. That's why we preach the word. The spirit of God makes the word alive. We see this in John 1, 14. And, and the spirit of and Jesus, uh, sorry, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was that? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? And so in, in a sense, Jesus is the word that has become flesh. And so how does he nourish us? Through his word. His word is life to us. And here's what I find in churches um, across the spectrum is that often people are malnourished. 
because they don't know the word of God. And listen, if you're malnourished and you don't feed on God's word, any wind of doctrine, every thought, any idea will sweep you this way and that way. You'll encounter suffering in your life and you'll walk away from Jesus because you're angry at him. Because you haven't read the word of God. You haven't fed on the word of God. You don't understand that even in suffering, God is with you. Why does God not remove suffering from our lives? Because he doesn't need to. Because the greatest gift that God gives us in the midst of suffering is himself. There's nothing more he needs to give you. See, if you read the word of God, you'll understand that. If we feed on God's word, then life would come to us. We'll understand that he is the bread of life. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're confronted with, that God is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. He's the God of the universe. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. He will sustain you, right? Now, we don't always see this. Listen, I'm, I'm disconcerted by the truth. The, so people often go to the Word with an agenda. They're not looking for Jesus to feed on his flesh. They're looking for something that, that will prop up their own preference. Right? That's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And people do it all the time. And generally, sadly, it's the very smart and intellectual people that do that. Because they don't come with a posture of humility. They don't come to the word of God and assume that they need it. Someone said this once. It was Francis Chan. I said, I think he said, if you know who Francis Chan Chan is, he's a preacher. Chani, Chani, Francis Chan. He said this, when you're reading the scriptures and you come across something that you disagree with, assume that you're wrong. Now, this is so important because what happens is we struggle to fit what this thing is saying. For goodness sake, eat my flesh, drink my blood in the 21st century. That's crazy talk. They'll fire you for stuff like that. You say that at an airport, they'll lock you up. Right? Are you with me? It doesn't fit into our context. And so what do we do? We make the truth fit our context. We make the truth fit our decisions, our preferences, our lifestyle. We make the the truth fit into what I can actually accept. We cannot come to God's word like that. We cannot come to Christ like that. Then you're not feeding on his flesh. You're feeding on yourself. Let me show you how they did this. John chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 37. Just, just bear with me, is that okay? Okay, and the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. He's talking to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes, the smart people, yeah? And you do not have his word abiding in you. Now, these are guys that studied the scriptures all day long. Yet he says to him, you don't have the word abiding in you. That is fascinating. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. How do you know if you truly have the word in you? You believe in the one in whom he sent. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe he is who he says he is. He did what the Bible says he did. He's going to do what the Bible says he's going to do. He is everything that the Bible says he is. I believe it. It doesn't fit into my world. It doesn't fit into this context. It doesn't fit into this philosophical thinking. It doesn't matter. He remains the same. He is who he is. Okay? Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Listen, 
You search the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. In other words, in my own ability to intellectually understand this thing, I have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Isn't that astonishing? That you can read the scriptures your entire life, study the scriptures like they did day in and day out, and yet they do not have life because they came with an agenda. The word was not in them. They didn't come to feed on the nourishment that the Lord had provided for them. They came with a different posture. And none of us, none of us, are totally um, safe from doing that. All of us are walking in danger of potentially doing that, right? Let me read on. I do not receive glory from people. That's the problem. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Wow. Imagine if God had to say that about us. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. This is fascinating, right? People come in the name of the Lord, and you've got to discern, do they come in the name of the Lord and we don't receive them? And then people come in their own name, and they get all the accolades, and we receive them. People that have the glory of man. Yeah, we'll listen to what they have to say. But people that have the affirmation from God are often not the people we would think. We go, no thanks. That's what the world does, right? And here's what happens with Christian leaders. When they begin to get a great following, a great following. The glory of man is a snare. They start going down a path of truth. Why? Because everyone's celebrating it. Goodness me, let me tell you, if Jesus is not celebrating the truth that you are espousing, the truth that you're preaching, you're in some trouble. You're in some serious trouble. And the whole of the world can despise you, but if the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that is affirming you, you stay there. You follow that man. You follow that woman. I've come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Isn't that ironic? They're saying, I'm not going to judge you. You know who's going to judge you? The person that you're putting your hope in, Moses. You know that Moses that wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? That guy, that very smart guy that I called, he was actually writing about me, but you can't see that. You made it all about Moses. You made it all about the law. You made it all about what you want it to be about, and so I'll let Moses judge you. Let's go back to chapter 6 there, or where I was. Okay, I've got to get through this. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum, right? And so he is the bread of life. Now I'm going somewhere with this. Let me move on. <clears throat> Let's read on, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying who can listen to it? This is where a lot of Christian leaders are changing their theology. This is too hard. This doesn't fit in our context. This doesn't fit in our culture. I don't get glory from man when I preach this way. 
One of the things that grabbed me about 412 and Josh Jen, Andrew Selly and the leaders here, and the leaders sitting here, is their devotion to Jesus. That they follow Jesus no matter the cost. You want to follow people that follow Jesus no matter the cost. They're countercultural, upstream, counterintuitive. People can call them all kinds of names. They'll keep following Jesus. It's nothing new. It is astonishing that at that time, that they had God in the flesh. Listen, the incarnate God, the one who created heavens and the earth, they had him in the flesh standing in front of them, and they did not see him. Have you ever said, if God would only do this, if God would only do that? Jesus has just fed 20,000 people with two loaves, five loaves and two fish. He's just walked on water. Hello. He's going to do a bunch of other miracles. Go read the book of Acts. Go, go read the Gospels. You see the countless stuff that he did. People still did not believe. Do you know why? People don't want the truth. They want their own truth. There's a Christian apologist by the name of Frank Tarek. He asked this question to a, a room of atheists. He said to them, he said, what would it take for you to believe? And so he came up with this thing. You've got it to move. Suddenly you could see it. The, the moon just moved that way. And the sun appeared next to the moon. And there was this crazy thing. And the star spelled, I am here. And who, whatever happens in the season changed literally in one night. Would you believe? Most of them said no. Do you know why? Belief in God is not an intellectual thing. It is a moral thing. It is a heart thing. And so people can't bring themselves to submit to the truth. They can't bring their lives to the living God. They can't bring their lives with that posture. They want their own truth. We, and it's in us. It's in our flesh even as Christians. We struggle to receive correction or rebuke or discipline, right, from our leaders. We all struggle because we don't want the truth. We want our truth. It's in us. But we have a decision to make. Am I going to accept my subjective truth as the ultimate truth? Okay, but that's the truth that is ultimately going to judge you. Or am I going to come to the Father and say, God, I need your truth. I need the ultimate truth. I need objective truth. It is hard. Listen, the Christian journey is no walk in the park. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, lay down your life, and follow me. That sounds wonderful. Pick me. Right? Like we need to know this, saints. We need to understand that Jesus hasn't called us to a tea party. There is a wonderful tea party waiting for us one day. Praise the Lord. He's calling us to lay down our lives and to follow him. He's calling us to submit ourselves to truth. Truth is not always going to fit into your world. It's not. And you know what? That's good news. That's good news. So, someone said this one's God's ultimate judgment is he gives you what you want. You don't want God to do that. You don't want him to give you over to your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own truth, what you hold dear and precious and what you're not willing to surrender. Because that does not lead to life. It just doesn't lead to life. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said. He just knew it. Why? Because he's Jesus. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a dude. He's Jesus. Okay? He's the Son of God. He has the Spirit of God resting upon him, anointing him, empowering him. Knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? 
The truth is offensive, often. You know, I'm not going to that church, they offend me. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's the truth. It's not always the truth. People get it wrong, Christians get it wrong, leaders get it wrong. But if it's the truth, go to that church. If the truth offends you, go to that church. Stay with that church. Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. What is Jesus saying? This is not an intellectual thing. This is not something we can do in the flesh. It is hard to receive God's truth. You can only do it by the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of the living God. We need the Spirit of the living God. Amen? We need the Spirit of the living God. The Bible says He's the Spirit of truth. You can trust the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. We need the Spirit of truth. You cannot do this in your own strength. You will not do it in your own strength. You won't do it. You will come to a crossroads. All of us come to a crossroads, and you'll come to a crossroads in this church if you haven't been there before. And you'll have an opportunity to go, no thanks, because there's going to be a disagreement with you and truth. And you have to decide, am I going to lay down my truth for the truth, or am I going to hold on to my truth and disregard the truth? That'll come. That's a frequent thing in the walk of God, in, uh, sorry, the walk of Christians as they follow Jesus. You will be confronted. You should be confronted. I was saying to, to James and Andrea, who I'm staying with, they've been wonderful hosts. I think I've picked, out, picked up about 16 kilograms just over the weekend. I said to my wife once, you know, do these pants make me look fat? She said, no, they don't make you look fat. It's all the food you eat that make you look fat. So <laughs> remember that one. <clears throat> and now I've lost my train of thought. You see, you shouldn't do this. This is what we learned yesterday. Don't do that. I was telling you, what was I saying just before that? Yeah, but I was saying something before that. Okay, let me move on. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was telling him something, but what was I saying before that? So I can remember what I was going to tell you, what I was saying to him. Can anyone tell me? Your truth. Okay, let me move on. I've messed this up. Let me carry on. But Jesus, knowing himself, his disciples, said, this is hard. Do you take offense to it? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? The Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We must rely on the Spirit of truth. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And I think we would do well this morning to ask ourselves, do I truly believe? Have I truly given myself over to Jesus Christ as the one who nourishes me? Do I truly feed on him? Do I truly depend on him? That's a question we should frequently ask as followers of Christ. Amen? For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Let me just say this this morning. If you're sitting here this morning, and I need you to hear me, if you're sitting here this morning, then it's because the Father has drawn you here. Okay, maybe your wife or your husband dragged you here by the ear. That's the Father drawing you here. Okay? Maybe you're under duress, you're sitting here, the Father has drawn you here. No one comes to the Father unless Jesus brings him, and no one comes to Jesus unless the Father, they work together, and it's by the Spirit. You are unbelievably privileged if you're sitting in this place this morning. 
We don't understand the privilege that we have to sit in the kingdom of God, to call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High God. In many senses, it feels like it is so easy to miss. Like you could be on the wrong side of the line so easily. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. That he has called you and drawn you to himself and revealed what the son has done on the cross for you. That you've put your hope in him and received the eternal gift of life. That you can eternally, eternally be nourished by him and receive the redemption that comes through his blood and his blood alone. That is an immeasurable gift that all of us need. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you've not received that gift yet, I appeal to you to open up your heart this morning to the spirit of the living God who drew you here. Here's an opportunity for you to be reconciled to the one who created you. There's an opportunity for you to meet God, the God who loves you deeply, the God who calls himself Father, the Father who sent the Son, and the Son who paid a price on the cross, who died a brutal death. He lived the life that you could never live, and he died the death that you were meant to die so that you can experience eternal life. So your sins could be forgiven. I often think about this. Who makes everything right? Think about all of the sin you've committed. Think about that for a moment. Think about all the sin you've committed in your life. And think about people around you. Think about the world and what has gone down in the world. The things happening right now in in, in the Ukraine. Think about that. Who fixes all of that? Who, who, Who brings justice? Who will pay for all of that? Who fixes that? The world's trying to fix it, but they can't. Do you know who carries the weight of that sin? The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Because if we had to make right for all the sin that we've committed, we can't do it. We just can't do it. That's why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus will make such a ridiculous claim or statement. In order to be mine, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know why? Because he alone can give you what you desperately need. Nothing and no one else can give it to you. Let me close with this. Verse 66. Now, just ironically, this is John 6, 66. And in, in fact, I thought of entitling my message, 666, the cost of following Jesus. Or 666 and the cost of following Jesus. There we go. Now see what these guys do. Now people are afraid of the mark of the beast. 666, you're gonna, that's the way people interpret it. Is it the vaccine? Is it, I don't want to be contentious, but... Okay, is it something on your forehead? Are they implant some microchip or something? Now, maybe one day, but here's the actual mark of the beast. If you don't belong to Christ and you haven't been marked by the Spirit, then you bear the mark of the beast. It's that simple. There's no neutrality. You're either for God or against God. You're either in the kingdom or out the kingdom. You can be a good person and still bear the mark of the beast. Okay? Let me show you verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many people are following Jesus, 
but they're not in Jesus. There will come a time where Jesus will confront you and say, will you eat my flesh and drink my blood, so to speak? And if you choose not to, you will walk away and you will not bear the mark of the Redeemer. You will not bear the mark of the Redeemer. So Jesus said to the 12, I love this, do you want to go away as well? So he had about 80 odd run about their disciples following him. They all disappeared, or most of them, and then the 12 remained. He said, do you, do you want to uh, go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I love this. It wasn't really that, it sounds confident, but it wasn't that confident. He's like, well, where else must we go? They didn't know at all. Jesus had not yet died. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand what he was saying fully yet when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was pointing to the cross. This had not happened yet. They didn't realize that. And so they're going, well, who else has got the words of life? Where else must we go? Have you ever felt like that as a Christian? I have. Like, this world's crazy. I don't know what to believe. But you know what? Who else must I follow? I'm following Jesus. I think I'll follow him. I'll follow him. You know why I have confidence in Jesus? Because he's the only one in all of human history that had walked out the grave. I'm following the guy that came back from the dead. The resurrected one. The one that overcame sin and death. The one that conquered it all. The one that will return triumphantly for his bride. The one that is seated at the right hand of the Father. The one that holds all things together. The one that created all things that were created were created in him and through him and for him and by him. The one that came down into your world is reaching into your life who is willing to step into his creation, into this fallen, sinful, broken world, been born in a manger, walk amongst men, sinful man, so that he could ultimately pay the price that you could never pay, that you were meant to pay because he lived the life that you could never live and he lived that life. So he stood before God the Father righteously. He died righteously so that he could give you the clothing or the the cloak of righteousness so that you can be accepted before the one that will make the ultimate call, the one that will judge us ultimately in his name is God. There is only one, and he's worth following no matter the cost. No matter the cost, he is worth following. And here's my encouragement to you this morning. Will you hold the line of truth? And in order to hold the line of truth, you must be held by truth. And truth has a name. His name is Jesus. A quote, and then I'm finished, I promise. Is that fine? I'll finish off with a quote. I don't normally do this, but it, it just a quote that speaks to me and has spoken to me for years. I picked this up off uh, Facebook a couple of years ago. I get all of my like, deep theology from Facebook. And um, <clears throat> it's a quote by the name, by a guy by the name of Dustin Messer, who is a He's a recognized, he's a pastor and a teacher of the word of God, a faithful man of God. And he said this, just bear with me. He said, these days, the real adventurers, someone's talking about adventure, I think you maybe earlier. These days, the real adventurers, listen, are those who set sail for the risky land of Christian orthodoxy. We set sail for the risky land of just sticking to what it's always been. Okay, nothing new, Christian orthodoxy. What do we do? We go back to the ancient paths. The real brave men and women are those who consistently go to church. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here this morning. Observe the sacraments, hear the word, and submit themselves to the discipline of the church. 
In an age of autonomy, it's those who subject their thoughts, their behaviors, and passions to an exclusive sovereign that are the brave few. Those may not be the memoirs we're interested in today, but they'll be the ones that last tomorrow. My encouragement to you is to come back to the ancient path. This book has been around far longer than you have, far longer than pop culture, far longer than the smarty pants down the road that has got more degrees than Fahrenheit and thinks he knows what he's talking about or she's talking about. More importantly, this book was confirmed by the death and the resurrection of God the Son. All of the Old Testament points to him. All of the New Testament points back to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We run after Jesus because he is the truth. We do what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't fit into our world and into our life, because we can trust him. Amen.